If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Hi, y'all. Let's try again. <laughs> we were talking about our trip to New Orleans. We are very and excited. Cheers, Patrice y'all. said she was going to, what did you say your words? Shake your booty. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> we're talking about, you know, I'm turning 50. It's half a century. It's really fucking old. And I was like, we're going to New Orleans. I know I'm going to have to shake my booty. Like, I want to <laughs> shake my booty. And so I was like, I probably need to practice shaking my booty. <laughs> and so I tried shaking my booty early, and I was like, oh, man. Oh, my God. Don't worry. I have Advil and muscle relaxers <laughs> well, at all times. <laughs> all the painkillers will be going with us down to New Orleans. I don't shake my booty. Maybe I should take dance lessons before oh, I go. Man, I don't need no guitar lessons. I need like, some dance lessons. like, locked up. Like, it's just like, it's... it's the wiggle is not there anymore, y'all. Yeah, it is. I saw you do it. I know. It's because I've been practicing. <laughs> y'all, I shit you not. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm training for the New Orleans uh, yes. <laughs> Is like, that why the dance music was on when we got in maybe here? Maybe we should take Zumba. Yeah. And that fucks up my knees. I don't know how to do it. Zumba honestly. is like hard on my knees. Have you ever done Zumba? No, I, have done a, I have a video game that's supposed to do Zumba with me. <laughs> and I did it one time and I was like, fuck this shit. <laughs> I used to do Tybo back in the I did late nineties, early two thousands. in college with my with my roommates. Tybo. We did Tybo on a video. Yeah, cassette. we had a VHS. But anyway, I was in the living room. But that was just like that's just punching mm. people. It's like kind of dance punching. It, it kind of is dancey punching. <laughs> dance punching. I used to do. I got really excited because Crunch Fitness used to have all of its videos on like Netflix. Netflix. Mm-hmm. for free and well for free with an F subscription <laughs> and so I would uh, so I would do them a lot and they had one that was like a dance but it was like it was fitness dance and it wasn't it wasn't like do you want to take pole dancing is that what you were saying you oh want my to do a pole god you class? took a jump oh my god <laughs> I need some That's how work, you work up your to abs. that I need some work <laughs> up to that there is no way that any part of my body is going to support any other part of my body on a pole. <laughs> it's just not happening. <laughs> so I could like swing around it. Oh my okay, God. My feet still yeah. on the ground, but there is no part of my body that is leaving the floor. See, I can't even get to that, what part of my body can do what. I can't, I just can't even get past my psyche with dancing. I don't know why. I just have never. That's why you're thinking about it. That's doing the problem. It. Yeah, that's the problem. You should, what are you, dancing is thinking. I know, but I need thinking. to be drugged in order to do that. <laughs> I was just gotta let go. I'm man. also very yeah. self-centered, so I'm like everybody's looking at me. It's not self-centered, that's self-conscious. Oh, okay, well, it's kind no. of the same thing, really. Nobody is. Nobody's. Nobody. Especially nobody not cares. Mm-hmm. Like, and even I mean, well, I should say, well, back in the day before we had like TikTok <laughs> uh, yeah. and all the fucking social medias, you could like do whatever the fuck you wanted to do, and like maybe somebody would be like, "Oh, did you see so and so Saturday night?" 
And they'd be like, yeah, okay. And then that was it. Yeah. And they, they forgot about it. There was, so there was, there was no evidence. It was Melanie so long did some ago, shit. And they had to like, sketch what? a photo. That's how long it is. Well, let me just show you the moves that Marleya was pulling. Back in the 90s. <laughs> and now. But the funny thing is, it's almost coming back around because now I could totally see myself being like videoed by like on like phone recorded by some like kid in New Orleans and like like captioning it like somebody's drunk aunt is here come pick them up but it would like if it, even if it goes I'd viral like, it awesome. lasts all of 35 seconds yeah, right yeah, like because viral is so common now like yeah. there's so many shit there's so many things that go viral that it's like it's still a flash in the pan it's gone back to being mm-hmm. a flash in the pan oh, and I would be like so flattered that you called me an aunt and not a grandma <laughs> <laughs> like hell yeah I'm somebody's aunt that reminds me of the story I may have told on the show I don't know but the first bar I went to during pandemic was last February then I went to a bar on February Uh 21 after I had COVID for the first time and I was like I'm invincible and I (laughs) um, we were in Orlando and I went with two young younger colleagues in their 20s and we went to we went to the Julie (laughs) Pianos bar oh what? So we're just loving it, Venmoing <laughs> songs. I'm doing songs they don't know about. People oh, like 30s and 40s are doing lots of late 90s. They know some of them, and they're really cool, and I like them a lot. But we get later on, we're going to close down this place, and it's just us and some other people in their 30s, 40s. I guess the 20s have gone on to the other club. Mm-hmm. And this lady walks over to a colleague of mine. Uh, she's just started full-time. She just graduated undergrad, 23, 24, and says, whisper something to her and then she starts laughing and i said what's going on she goes i don't want to tell you i don't don't, don't want to tell you because i'm just out there like i don't care i'm dancing (laughs) party party you know it's fun it was our last day or whatever and um she goes she wanted to know if my if you're my mom (laughs) i don't want to i didn't want to tell you that she said your mom is having a good time, isn't she? <laughs> and I said to my colleague, Fred, I said, you are 23 years old and I am 43. So that, yeah. yes, I could definitely be your mother. <laughs> like, not even a stretch here. Like, yeah. easily. <laughs> oh, my God. This, yep. this is how you know that you're in the South. When I first had my child, I had my child like at 36, a little bit later than most people do. Um especially for my age. And I remember he was a baby. I I was in the Tupelo Mall and was just walking around with him and some little old lady (laughs) walked up to me and said, oh, is that your grandson? Oh, my. But you were only 36. I was only 36. My cousin was a grandmother at 36. I was going to say it was because lots of kids. I was going to say lots of kids have babies at 18. So there you go. Yeah, it's yeah, it was, you know, it could have happened. But that comment (laughs) like made me want to burn them all down. (laughs) Because not only was like, I'm not a grandma. I was like (laughs) a first time mom tired as shit <laughs> and you come up to me and you <laughs> tell me that I look like a grandma <laughs> 36 at 36 fuck you <laughs> I just want to tell that old lady fuck you but you are right I mean it's much, it was much more common our age people to mm-hmm. be mothers at 18 to yeah. 21 especially where we right. grew up yeah. than to be mothers at 36 to 40 mm-hmm. oh yeah I no, mean, absolutely. most of my friends their kids have grown graduated high school mm-hmm. 
You know, I wonder I mean, if at the... least their oldest half. They've graduated high school. Some of them are married. Like, it's not uncommon for... Right. I wonder yeah. what the 40. average age for, like, first child is for, for women now. Yeah. I wonder it's if it's up. gone I'm up. Sure it's gone up. That's good. But I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, that's just... You know what? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know either. I know. It's just one of those, like, we all kind of know I anecdotally. Think... Yeah. We, we would hope that, you know, women... And, well, and the whole, even not having kids is such, it's like, there's a big, like, fuck y'all, we're not having kids, which I'm yeah. totally like, yeah, yeah. that's ding, great. Ding, 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 <laughs> yeah. You don't this have one. to have kids to have value in your <laughs> life, <laughs> right? I spent 20 years raising freshmen in college. And no season. <laughs> You're welcome, parents. <laughs> oh, my God. No joke. Perpetually have new 17 and 18-year-olds in my life every year. Yeah. Yes. That's and enough man, to learn you. <laughs> it used to have a lot more energy for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, shit. And, and the whole thing was like, when you get older, you give less fucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, for sure. I and, care about them, but I give less fucks about what they think about me. Exactly. <laughs> oh, exactly. I think we give less fucks about what everyone thinks about us, which yeah. is a blessing, right? It's it the is best thing about being it is. age. Yeah. I know. I used to feel so sorry for people who were older. <laughs> I would be like, oh, they're not going anywhere. And, <laughs> their life seems so boring and like they like go to bed early and just I know. watch it used to be yeah. like so pot like and, so so yeah like weird and puzzling yeah i was, I was just for. like i don't understand why they don't want to go out i was just talking to chad about this mm-hmm. um, not before last day's house when we were talking about well like seven o'clock i'm gonna go home, go home. Mm-hmm. your dinner's almost ready i gotta eat before eight at least I feel so bad for those people. And now I'm like, oh, I could not care less. Oh, but I know. Mm-hmm. Every, let, let the 20-somethings feel bad for me. Yes, I welcome it. It's so funny because I think oh, about that God. around here and I'm like, what the fuck else is there to do Getting around trouble. our town anyways? Like, oh, if I can go God. to bed. Just go to bed. You're I tired. In, oh, in a town really? much smaller than this. <laughs> Lord knows. Well, I took my son and his friend. Well, I took them home. He came over to like visit on Friday and I took him home Friday night. And we went to the Sonic, and I thought for sure that someplace. Sorry, did you just spill? Just spilled. Oh. I'll have to talk. It's okay. Hell Should we no pause fury. it? You need well, to no, put let's some water finish on this it. story finish and the then story. we'll do. Okay. okay. So you took him to Sonic, which oh, yeah. is the hangout spot. It, which you would it really think, is all the it high was. scores. You would think Friday night it was it was like no seven thirty. It was dead. Really? There was nobody. I was like, where the fuck is everybody? It's like, like the streets were hang out. dead. That is like, weird. Everything was like, there was nobody Not, in town. It I was wasn't like, holiday. I mean. I was like, where are the children? Where are the where children? Are the where are the children? Do you know no. where your children are? Maybe it was a sports night. Maybe. I don't know. Because I have seen, I have seen that Sonic like crowded with high schoolers. But yeah, yeah that's weird. on Friday. Anyway. Okay. She spilled anyway. the drink that we will talk about. On right my white shirt. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Need to go to like weird places like Hot Springs, Arkansas or some shit where nobody goes. It's not expensive. All right. That's going to be our next. But you we may I mean? not be able to start it till next spring. <laughs> wow, we could do it in the fall. Oh, well. we could. We could. One do of it in the, the things, yeah. One of the things that I've been working on is trying to increase my passive income, mm-hmm. like a lot. I've been trying to do more designs, just to get some 
money that I don't have to constantly. I mean, and that's like long that's like shot. it cuts your hustle down, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's, it, that's I'm what trying we to cut, need. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to cut the hustle down, and so I'm trying to use that money specifically because I've done stuff for the show and then I've done stuff for me um, to pay for future mm-hmm. like travel. That's cool and do stuff because we have not we have not been anywhere, mm-hmm. and it's because we can't afford to. Yeah, well. Yeah, so it's like just sustains itself. And so that's what I've been trying to do. And speaking of us trying to beef up our store and our <laughs> products and stuff, we know we have stuff that has Strange South on it, but I realize that a lot of people may not want to advertise Strange South. Like, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, but... I think you should. I think you should. Absolutely. <laughs> that said, if that's not your thing, I'm also trying to introduce uh, just kind of Southern Gothic, Southern mm-hmm. style themed clothes and whatnot into our Strange South store. And it is very cool. And one that I just finished that y'all haven't seen yet is a Mardi Gras design. <laughs> Uh, that I just put onto the Strange South store. So go get your Mardi Gras Strange South t-shirt. Yay! Awesome. I don't even know about this. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and celebrate. It does not have the Strange South like plastered all over it, although it should. Mm. But you can go to thestrangesouth.com and click on our shop and you will see the design that I have for this year. And I think I should do one every year. I love it. Though, Yay. What fun. What favorite fun. things. Yes. Right, I gotta, I'm trying to get to it now. <laughs> my, my, my new Mardi Gras tradition is getting the baby out of the king cake every year and then using it as one of my Christmas decorations at getting Christmas time. You should like a Jesus. Yeah. He's a new Jesus. What? And he's like, I've got two baby Jesus with hot glue and dinosaurs and shit. On my on my crafty Christmas tree every year, and I'm like, this is my thing now. I, I need the it. king baby. I love it, and we need to get our asses a king cake. We totally do. Oh, we're going to. We're in New Orleans. I know, but well, I need wow. to get one from here too. Yeah, we from need our like favorite free... artisanal oh, yeah, we'll baked goods in Aniston, Alabama. You're right, Absolutely, you're right. because yes. they make an amazing king cake. They do. So yes, and all the other things, and all the other things. Did you find it? Uh, no, I did not. I was just thinking about how we haven't talked about the drink yet. The drink the is the drink that was spilled on our latest was, flight was responsible for my quick uh, exit for a minute. Do you think you got it out? I think I got we, most of it. It is a red wine sangria uh, on her new on my new white hell hath no sh- hell. hell hath no fury bitter southerner shirt. Yeah, that was yeah unfortunate. <gasps> Hopefully oh, the club soda. Uh oh, okay. we'll you keep talking. Okay. So this uh, drink is our good friends, friends of the show, friends in our real life, Freddie yeah. and Reiner. Hi. Hi. Thanks, so guys. We have made Freddie and Reiner's uh, winter sangria. And, and it is so like it. It is the uh, like the perfect winter. It tastes like winter. It which does you taste. Think. Yeah. And I think it's. Traditionally made by them at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a Christmas gift from them. They gave me their special hooch, yes. which I realized once I decided to make this that I don't know the ingredients of that hooch, which is like half of what the drink is. So uh, we we were smelling the hooch that they make in this. <laughs> uh, it's, it's always apple or pear, clove, and cinnamon. Yeah. And vodka. 
I'm pretty sure they still. So it, it's an infused. It's an infused liquor, which we we're thinking is vodka that they've infused with cinnamon, clove, and pear, or apple, or both. And so it sits for however long, and it doesn't take long from the last time I did the apple cinnamon one. It really mm-hmm. didn't take that many days to infuse, and then mixed with a, a dry red wine, and then oranges, lemons, limes, quartered and squeezed, and then the the rinds thrown into the uh, mixture along with one canner bottle of ginger beer, which I'm not a fan of, but I love in this. Oh yeah, but the ginger beer is, is kind of it's kind of a Necessary. Let me let me just describe this drink. So, <laughs> so bear, bear with me. Bear it. with me. So when I took a sip of this, I automatically like got time traveled back to when we used to have like a um wood stove. Like mm. when I, I grew up when I was very young, we were we were we didn't have money. Um I lived in a trailer. And we didn't even have like a stove. We may have a stove, but what heated our trailer was a wood stove. And so just like that cold country morning mm-hmm. smell of wood burning, mm-hmm. um, just like when I took a sip of this, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in a cabin <laughs> with a wood burning stove. In the early cold morning, where like the frost is on the field, oh, and look, it's like you got a whole vision. I yeah. know I did. It it took me back. Like I, I feel instantly, like you hit exactly what would be their ideal life. Yes, <laughs> Freddie and Reiner's ideal yes. life. Freddie and Reiner, the same it, place. They put it in a drink and they nailed it because mm-hmm. that's like that's exactly where I went as soon as I took that first sip. Because y'all were looking at me because Courtney always like stares at our face when we <laughs> take like a sip of her drink. <laughs> To kind of judge how we like, feel do about you it like this? and whether or not we're going to lie about <laughs> it or not. Um, and so I was just sitting there and she kept like, she was like, do you like it? Do you like it? And <laughs> and I was trying to just put into words because I was like in that cabin with that wood burned stone <laughs> in like the cold, um, crisp air of winter. And yeah, I absolutely love this. It's really good. It mm-hmm. has such a good flavor and. I think he, he also said that you could serve it hot. I asked for that. It is a, I've been cold all day, but I think I would prefer it like this. It's not cold. We didn't put any ice in it, but it's not hot. It's mm-hmm, kind right. of a cool, cool. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a crazy, I'm not a big fan of hot wines as much. Like but, the hot mold wine or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I am, but it seems to bring the sugar out a lot more. And that's, mm. it makes me, this makes my good. head hurt. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was a little suspect mm. of the ginger beer, but it, no, it really it. works. It's really, really good. Yeah. So, Right. Cheers. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you, Freddie and Reiner. Thank you. <laughs> I've told y'all before that we were around when Freddie first started, like, distilling, like, or uh, infusing <laughs> vodkas, right? That we all did it together at the beginning. I remember that. Yeah, the first Christmas we all did it. Like, Freddie. Got super trashed on, like, vodka with vanilla, <laughs> like, uh, I remember vanilla all the jars extract and all it. the things, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So when you said distilled, I was like, ooh. You need a still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, they'd be so good at it. Y'all would be. Like, All their recipes you, are you like to... tried and trust. It's nothing is just like off the. You don't make one recipe once. It's like they perfect stuff. Right. That's not something I've ever been very good at as a cook or any or a baker or anything mm-hmm. like that. But that's how you know they're like they'll try a recipe like four or five times and then change it and improve it until they get it to the point where they want it to be and then they make it exactly that way. And I was like, oh, so good, so good. anyway, good cook. Yeah, so 
next to your cabin in the woods <laughs> in the wintertime, like, is your still, right? Mm-hmm. Very Perfect. good. All right. All right. Do we have any more pre-show stuff? Uh, No, I don't believe so. Okay. This is going to be a weird one, y'all. Do you want to pause it? Uh, should we? Should yeah, we? I'm going to pee, too. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. going to do like me and do your celery crunching right as the microphone no i don't have my headset in so i don't care what you do <laughs> look i don't care what looks, everyone else hears all right smells or sounds wow okay. i feel about it are we on are we i guess i can't i know who knows really <laughs> who knows? is are it all ever really on? Look at it. I, I mean our I voice see. numbers are changing is I that is see. that a sign so I'm not it's a sign we're good <clears throat> that little red light's on so we're good so as i said this is a weird one for whatever my reasons i guess it's been a weird week so i'm just gonna hit it we're gonna <laughs> hit it we enter into Let's the early it. 1960s Ooh. so there was a music instructor at the university of alabama in the early 1960s he was only there for a couple of years he was a really charismatic yeah. like music instructor but also a really laid back person well liked kind of across the board his dad was a well known presbyterian minister in texas he'd grown up in texas his name was marshall applewhite and he went by herf everybody knew him as herf applewhite herf mhm mm. i don't know why it's like of all the things I couldn't you know, find out about this, that's we need the... to like do some sort of just collection of the different weird because names, names because, and it seems like even like the people who have money and that are established in the towns, they're the ones with the weirdest names. Because <laughs> I told you about like my mom, the girl that my mom went to school with, or maybe I haven't. His name was Booby. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> and she kept that, huh? And Booby, yes. That's what their name is. I'm not going to say the last name because it's a well-established family. That I'll be goddamn. I love, but definitely was Booby. That's just mean. Like, what are you thinking? But nobody, it's kind of like Dick. <laughs> nobody thought, like, Dick. nobody, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> they, 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 you know, maybe were, were teased, but because it was back in the 50s, I, I it's don't like know. It was like everybody went by Dick. And I think nobody Dick. actually said Dick, Dick in the 50s. Trickle. I feel like people didn't swear <laughs> That I don't is know who you're hanging around, but people is. say dick all the time. In the 50s, you weren't around in the 50s. Don't even pretend. Anyway. All right. Wait, she's 50. Was that in the 50s? I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> so his, he went by her. her. And at that time, he was in his early 30s. And he left the University of Alabama under semi-mysterious circumstances. Like some people claimed 
that he had an affair with a male grad student. He was married with two kids, so that would have been a thing had he had an affair with anyone, you know, in the 1960s. So whatever it was that happened, he moves back to Texas. And he, you know, he actually, before he, I think it was before he went to Alabama, he tried to kind of make make his way in New York because he has this beautiful voice Mm. and he can sing opera. Um, you know, he's a performer, so he can, he can act, you know, he can do all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, but he went back to, um, he went to Houston and tried to break into the opera scene in Houston. It's a big opera scene in Houston. Yes. The huge opera scene in Houston. There should be, there should be a huge opera scene everywhere. Everything in Texas is bigger. Right. (laughs) So he, he ended up teaching music though at a university in Houston called, or, uh, yeah, a university in Houston called the University of St. Thomas. And he directed choirs around there. He worked at a, a theater over the weekends and wrote children's plays for the theater. He taught drama camps. Um, he did just all kinds of stuff throughout the neighborhood and or the neighborhood, the city. And he was he was generally recognized as a generous person, a kind person. He was lovable, charismatic. He was talented and he was an excellent teacher by most reports. But he was really sort of scattered. So he would get these jobs at the university, but he would have a hard time keeping them. Like he would mm. bounce a little bit because he didn't like to be told what to do. Hmm. Um, that's a very Texas thing. I guess it probably is. No, actually, it's maybe a very, a very southern, southern thing, thing as much as we don't count Texas as our southern. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, there's some mystery around this about why he left that position as well so some say that he was a gay man who is out and proud and spent time in the gay community in houston some say that he was a closeted bisexual some say that he had an affair with a wealthy white woman um whose family threatened him and he had to leave his position um but was this at alabama or in texas this was in houston okay and so sometimes because it's like it's kind of the same deal as what we heard from the alabama like job that he left is that nobody really knows. Somebody thinks it has something to do with sex. Somebody thinks it has something to do with gay sex. He's just kind of weird. Like, that's the whole aura around this dude. He ends up leaving this university also. And sometime in the mid-60s, things get kind of weird with him, and a whole bunch of shit goes down at once. So in 1968, he gets a divorce. He's been married for 16 years. He has two kids. And... In 1970 is when he actually leaves his job at the university. Sorry, I got that mixed up. And some say it's because he had emotional problems. Again, there are these affairs people had rumors about. Then in 1971, his dad, who was the Presbyterian minister, dies. And Herf goes into this depression. And he starts, like, searching for something spiritual. You know, he's, like, sometimes you do when you're, because at this point, what, he's 40-some. He's, like, early 40s. Right. And he's at that time, he's just had a, a loss, a couple losses, job, dad, you know, it's marriage. It's like your life, you think you're going to be somewhere by the your mid-40s, and if you're not, then there's a lot of reflection. There is a lot that happens. That goes on. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, at one time, he'd also planned to go into seminary. Like I said, his dad was a preacher. So he, he stayed a spiritual person his entire life. But he's not really, like, the kinds of answers that he's finding in, in Presbytery and dogma or whatever in christianity aren't really cutting it for him right. right now and i really don't know what the difference between presbyterian like views and there are it, times i probably could have told you but 
right and every, now. Yeah. Everybody else, all the other flavors of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, Presbyterian, there there are breaks within their within their sect as well. So mm-hmm. it kind of depends on which Presbyterian you are. Yeah. He at this point in his life, he's like I said, he's searching and he starts he starts reading more. He starts reading sci-fi stuff. Mm. You know, it's like the the early 70s, late 60s. He gets kind of more into mysticism. But everything think he I thinks of, I think about. you do, too. <laughs> That's everything, why I keep looking at you weird, because I'm like, that you probably, name is very, I'm sure you do. very it's not uncommon. A, it's not a quiet story. Uh-huh. Okay. Everything he uh, gets into, he that everything that he finds that resonates with him, he still represents in his head within a Christian framework, though. Everything is kind of still in that box. And he begins to believe, and he actually told a friend this, that UFOs are in the Bible is one of the things he started to believe. He says when people see angels in the Bible, what they're seeing is UFOs. And sci-fi at this time is brand new. Like, mm-hmm. like well, that's, that's a complete lie. Sci-fi is not brand new. But sci-fi as a cultural phenomenon is brand new in the U.S. Like so Star Trek. Star Trek just started in mm-hmm. 1966. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the fucking country watched Star Trek mm-hmm. all the time. Every time Invasion it's on. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Exactly. The moon landing happens in 1969. Like, mm-hmm. this is really impacting the way that the culture is looking at anything having to do with aliens. Because everybody's kind of looking at, well, especially religious people are grappling with, what does this have to do how does this impact my belief system? Right. What does this have to do with my life? And how does this change the things that I've always thought were true? Right. Or that our parents beat into us. Exactly. So it's no, I mean, like, there are a billion reasons why the 60s and early 70s were like a really tumultuous time for U.S. culture. And that's one that I think sometimes gets a little overlooked. Like we look at war and we look at like the hippie generation and everything. But these things all kind of go in together. Right. And that kind of. Yeah, science and technology and landing on the moon. That (laughs) was a lot bigger, I think, than Mm -hmm. I generally personally anyways have thought about it. Right. After Herf's dad dies, he's like wandering the beach in Galveston, Texas one night. By him, you know, he's reflecting, like you said, you reflect. Mm-hmm. And he says that he's had this revelation. And he said, he told a friend in an article that I read in the New York Times that a presence had given him all the knowledge of where the human race had come from and where it was going. And this friend said, like, it's the type of thing that somebody says to you and you want to just laugh. But he was dead serious. And it's really hard not to take him seriously because of his conviction mm-hmm. when he tells you. So, you know, this is all going on in his psyche. And then in 1972, you know, he's still in Houston. He's visiting one of his students in a drama class that has has hurt themselves. He goes to the hospital to visit them. Or there are a bunch of different stories about this, too. This is one Mm -hmm. of those things that's not clear. Somebody said he was in the hospital himself for heart trouble. Somebody said he had some kind of a psychotic break and is in the hospital one way or another. He ends up in a hospital where one of his nurses is a woman named Bonnie Nettles. She's from Texas. She has four kids. She's married. And in later letters, he writes when he first saw Bonnie that their eyes locked in a shared recognition of esoteric secrets. Like this is literally like when he saw her the very first time he was like, this person is connected to me somehow. Mm -hmm. So Bonnie's from Houston. Originally, she was raised Southern Baptist. But as she got older, she got more interested in more new age ideas. She started looking in astrology. She read tarot. She held seances. 
And she started, um, she believed in reincarnation. She believed she had been reincarnated multiple times and that she kind of had some information about where those came from. She believed she was being spoken to by a monk named Brother Francis who had died like ages ago. And so she had an interesting spiritual life mm-hmm. herself. Once when her oldest daughter was a child, they went outside together and were just looking at the stars together. And they, they were convinced, the two of them together, that they saw a UFO in the sky. So that was like one of those moments that her daughter never forgot. This was her oldest of four. At this point, though, Bonnie meets her. She's she's between three and six years older than him. I can't remember how much, but she's a little older than him. She had recently had a reading. I don't know if she'd done it herself or someone else had done it where she was she was informed that a fair complected tall man was going to change her life. and. You know, this guy comes into her hospital where she works and walks in and he's this pasty white tall dude with creepy eyes. And <laughs> and he I always thought this guy was short for some reason. Well, in this story, he's tall. I don't know if he's short or not. <laughs> actually, most of the videos I've seen of him, he's he he's looks, sitting down. So I, like I can't Beverly actually Leslie. tell. <laughs> Do you I think have, so? I don't think he looks I like Beverly no Leslie. I have idea who y'all are talking about. I, we're probably so. splitting the audience in half. There are people who already know what I'm doing and, and there are other <laughs> and people that don't. Like and I me, and I really me. wasn't sure how how well known this whole thing was. <laughs> I just know the last name and I knew exactly who it was. So, I was like, well, it might not be them. Yeah. So anyway, so she has when he has that moment, when he looks in her eyes, she has the exact same moment back at him. Mm-hmm. They they immediately, I think, started talking to one another and writing letters to one another and getting together and having coffee and, you know, just communicating all these really candid, really deep spiritual thoughts that each of them like. They're both those types of people who would just immediately just dive, you right. know. They get entwined really really quickly but it's not a it's not a sexual thing at all it's a 100% platonic like our brains are the same kind of kind of feeling it's it's so strong that on new year's day in 1973 the two of them up and leave texas together um she has been divorced i didn't mention that before but she it's it, again it's 100% platonic but her younger three kids she leaves with their dad her oldest, who she saw the UFO with in the field, is 20 now. So she goes, she's living by herself. And, you know, she just leaves her family. And he is, like I said, divorced and his family is in another state. So he doesn't have as much to leave. And they just get in a car together and go be nomadic and talk all the time and, you know, talk about spiritual stuff and look at the stars and go camp and it's just what they do. They're developing a belief system together. It's like they both feel like they have pieces of a puzzle that they're supposed to put together to create a whole. And so their whole existence for this while is building what that whole is actually supposed to look like. Okay. This is in the 70s. This is in the, yeah, in 1973, like the smack beginning of 1973. Almost 50 years ago. Oh! Seven months after, you know, it's like, so I guess it's July. It's July-ish. They have reached the Oregon coast. You know, they've been traveling around various places. And when they're on the Oregon coast camping together, they say that together they have this revelation that they they should be on a mission, that there's a mission that belongs to them, that they are the two witnesses from the book of Revelation. And if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, 
there are verses where there are two, they're, they're called the two witnesses or the two lampposts or whatever, but there are two prophets that come in the book of Revelation that are, are telling the truth to the, you know, everybody for, it said 1,260 days, which I had forgotten. And then when they've told the truth for this amount of time, they are murdered in the street because their, their message is horrible to the, you know, sin stricken people in the world. And they are murdered in the street. And three and a half days later, they're resurrected and brought into heaven in a bright cloud. And they've decided that they are those two people. Mm. And so they start calling themselves the two. They preached the message that they believe that they're supposed to tell to humanity as these two witnesses is that man must break from all ties that bind him to the earth. Family, mother, father, brother, sister, remove from yourself all sensuous thoughts, all sensuous actions, and leave all possessions behind and seek only God. These are the messages that they're supposed to be spreading to the sinful world. There are other groups that have preached this before. It's well, not, I mean, it's, it's like, not, it's, it's this up is for anybody to grab hold of. This and, is the message of Christ. Right. Like, if, I mean, if you want to just take all the bells and whistles off, that's exactly what Jesus said. <laughs> And like, it's the stuff that people tend to decide that they're not going to think about that Jesus said, but that's literally what Jesus said. But they go a bit further as they, you know, they have that revelation, but then they continue to travel together and they, they refine this message a little bit more. And by 1975, they start a podcast. They, yeah. add, <laughs> they, add, they add to it that the cloud that is supposed to take them up to heaven, you know, when, they, the, when they're killed and resurrected as the two witnesses. The cloud that takes them up to heaven is a UFO. Well, it makes sense because now we're in like that. Now we're in the science age, right? right. Like and it's like, and you go up to the heavens and we now know that there's like other things up there. Exactly. Not just heaven. Well, and it kind of makes sense because their, their kind of revolutionary thing is that the kingdom of heaven is a physical place. Right. All of this is still being approached in a 100% Christian viewpoint. Right. But, you know, they're saying the kingdom of heaven is not some esoteric, you know, is is not a spiritual only thing, that it is a physical place that you can physically go to. And the people who follow their teachings and overcome their human failings in the way that they teach can be taken aboard a spacecraft mm -hmm. to bodily be flown into heaven. They will never physically die. Because their human bodies, they will find, are actually just vessels or vehicles for advanced alien beings that are living inside them. So if you accept this teaching, you are obviously one of these advanced beings and you will metamorphose into a greater being. It doesn't mean you're going to die. It means your body is going to change physically and then your physically changed body is going to be taken up to a UFO and taken to the kingdom of heaven, which is just an actual place. This is what they call reaching the next level. And they said in their teaching, Jesus was the first person to experience this, that Jesus was a higher next level being that was put into a human vessel and then was was prematurely killed. His yeah. heavenly father, who was his leader from the kingdom of heaven, had sent him there. And then he had been resurrected and taken after having inhabited a human vessel. Right and, and ascended and, into heaven and, and ascended. The truth, yeah, like makes sense to me. <laughs> believers say that Jesus' body was lifted. Too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's why you're supposed to, like he's going to raise you from the grave. Mm -hmm. Like he 
didn't, it wasn't just his spirit that went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his whole he was body went. Yes, yeah, because like they went and the grave was empty. Uh, the grave you know, the angels are standing. They have gone. rolled the stone away and the grave is empty. The man is gone. Right. At this point, Herf and Bonnie are, they say, we're here to do this ourselves and we're here to bring others with us to do this. So now that they've nailed all this down, they travel to California. They make flyers. They create posters. They put them all over town. And a lot of them are like, they're um, like, what did Jesus really come to tell you? Have you ever wondered what did Jesus really come to tell you? But a lot of it, too, was like UFOs in San Francisco and then like four bullet points and then a little write up. And a lot of it said specifically, like, this is not something where, you know, we're we're not trying to make you be religious. This isn't related to, you know, a sect or anything like that. They're like, this is for people who might be interested in reaching a higher plane of existence in their their current life so that's what a lot of their flyers and posters said they called the group human individual metamorphosis at the beginning it was him at the beginning and they started calling themselves bow and peep because they were tending sheep they were getting people (laughs) to come I know. And and join this group. So they were tending them. So they considered themselves shepherds and they called themselves Bo and Peep at the beginning. And when people would go to have a Muppet, they did not have a Muppet. It does kind of sound like they should. They should. It would have been really great. It's like somebody sits down at this like, you know, community hall and it's like, no, no. They would they would have these meetings and they would just be in these little non like like YMCA, you know, conference rooms. There's no incense or weird music or anything like in California. There are no strangers to these weird new religious movement meetings, but they're, you know, they're usually a little bit more far out than this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these guys are just two normal people sitting at the front of a room at a conference table, talking plainly, dressed plainly. And that's what's really unusual about them here they're not pushy you know and it really ends up the way that they present it is very logical and it it hits a nerve with and people start following them Mm -hmm. and which is kind of i mean it's a big deal because to follow them you literally say i'm never going to talk to my family again what if your family wants to come with you i'm well they can come with you (laughs) But you're also supposed to askew any human connections with the people currently in your life. So I didn't see any any like um, any examples of people who tried to bring like, like sisters or brothers. Or, but there were people who, who brought, brought girlfriends husband. and boyfriends oh, okay. and and husband and wife. But those people were were, were told this is not your relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you are an individual and you are one you know, you you are not supposed to have this kind of connection to another human because your whole point being here is to transcend and overcome your humanness. So this really means nothing to you anymore. So if this person is here, their goal is to do this for themselves and your goal is to do it for yourself. And that connection means nothing to us. Yeah. So that was that would be how they would have dealt with that. Which is like cult 101. <laughs> in a, yeah, in a lot of ways. They it were is. a very unusual cult. It sounds like, like by a lot of like, right. There's a lot no of sex. people have talked like, about most it. Cults are like, you know, you sleep with the head mm-hmm. honcho dude. Mm-hmm. This is like no sex for anybody. It's much less manipulative, like right. directly and intentionally manipulative than a lot of them seem to be. Yeah. Because one of the things that a lot of people who talk to these two who led it have said is that 
they it they're not shysters in the way that they're trying to get one over on people. They, they believe really it. believe this. Right. And they believe that they are two aliens who are elders who are brought down to Earth to teach people how to reach the next level. They really, really do believe it. Are these the people that wear purple jumpsuits? <laughs> so you don't remember um, what they're called or what they're later. I remember. So people start following them. And in September 1975, they are in Waldport, Oregon. They have a meeting there. And within days of that meeting, 20 people in that town disappear because they have left 20 people who went to that meeting, left everything, property, possessions, family. Yeah, they're not asking for people's money. No, they're not asking Mm -hmm. for money. And they just go. Wow. And there were it was all over the newspaper at the time and all over national news because there was at first people were like, what happened to them? And then slowly kind of putting it together that all these people were at this meeting and they all decided to go. And do these things. Well, it seems like such a simplistic thing. It's like, because life is tough. And then it's like, you know, look, this is what's happened. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're doing. You can come. Mm -hmm. You can stay. And that's exactly how they presented it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to to do this. Right. And so within a year of this traveling around to different, you know, putting out flyers, different states, different places, they had around 200 disciples with them. The problem, though, is that nothing happened. These two, Bo and Peep, are not murdered in the streets. No UFO came in a cloud to get them. Because that was supposed to be three and a half years. They had said. 1,200. And, and the they had even quick. said that oh, it would be God. less time than that. <laughs> they had even told followers it could be within three months that this Ooh. was going to happen. Because mm. they'd been doing it already. Right. And so. And the world just keeps spinning. And the world keeps spinning. And media mm-hmm. is catching on at this point, particularly because a lot of attention was brought to this Oregon disappearance thing. So the media is on to them as a group and is mocking them, you know, because anything where you're saying UFOs are going to come and get me. Everybody's like, you're fucking crazy. Time. Right. You know, the media's on them. And so the two leaders, Herf and Bonnie, kind of switch gears at this point and say, well, clearly we were wrong about the exact prophecy but we think that it's metaphorical we think that this media onslaught is us being you know metaphorically murdered and you know this just means that we're going to be resurrected as something greater but you know not everybody goes with that and so people kind of start to leave because Mm -hmm. with this particular group you can just leave you know there's nothing that right. makes you stay. They're not going to like hire lawyers. They're not going to. Yeah, they're not going to kill you. They're not right. going to hunt you down. They're not even going to call you. Right. They at this point though they also start being more strict and more rules based. So they've gone through this harvesting period where they're collecting people who are going to follow them. They call these people the crew who are going to help them crew their ship to go to the kingdom of heaven. But they've finished the harvesting period. They kind of shut down looking for new people, and now it's time for them to teach people. The process of going to the next level of how to fly a spaceship. How to fly a spaceship. <laughs> there's a lot of training. There. Yeah, there's so much training. It's very important. Lots of watches Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and they did YouTube videos as a group. As a group, one of the things that they were all allowed to watch together was Star Trek. Really? Like, oh yes, exactly. Oh, oh my god, for real, they did. They watched like I did today. How to drive on the wrong side of the road in the UK. Oh my they god, watched those YouTube videos. They watched how to when fly. they were watching Star Trek. It was Star Trek: The Next Generation. Even later too. I know. Um, oh, because I know that makes it into the nineties. It does make it into the nineties. So, I know that. So they started 
started being stricter. No, it was more rules based. No drugs, no tobacco, no alcohol. This is not a party at any point. There's a lot of discipline. It was when they describe it, it really is like a monastic group. Mm. You are a monk. You're a nun. You are dedicating yourself to a life of service and to a life of sacrifice. And that's 100% what they expected from everybody. How did they make any money, though? They had people originally. Now, when it was just Herf and Bonnie and like one other girl. They actually skipped out on motel bills. They Mm -hmm. stole cars, Mm -hmm. you know, like at the very beginning. They didn't feel great about it, but they were like, God's telling me to do this, so it's okay. And when they figured out their whole manifesto of what they really were in 1975, that happened while Herf was in jail for four months for Mm. stealing a car in, I think, Seattle. Okay. They decided after that that they weren't going to, they were like, stealing is not allowed. We're not going to do that. So they lived. Jesus kind of proud. Yeah. So they were nomadic. They lived in tents for a really long time and campgrounds and things like that. But they did have people who had trust funds Mm. who donated a lot of money to them, who joined the group and were just like, you can have everything I've got. There were other people who um, just were very talented at their jobs and continued to work in different places. Once they kind of got more settled down and stopped living in tents and started living in houses. They would live like 15 people to a house and three of them would go out and work a nine to five job and support everybody that way. Oh, my. Good God. Yeah. Those people like that's great. So, but they were, they were very strict. (laughs) And there were some people in those situations who never got to leave the house either. Discipline, conformity. He got to, they got to where they had rigorously scheduled lives and they would have to do classes with Herf and Bonnie with, and now they're calling themselves T and Doe instead of Bo and Peep. They've changed their names to T and Doe and they would teach about how to reach the next level. Like Doe Exactly like that. He's a music teacher. So it was solfege or sacred heart. I guess if you're sacred harp singing, if you're from around here, when you listen to videos of him, he sounds like Fred Rogers. So I understand why he put people at ease. He was very charismatic. He was 100% eye contact. He sounds comforting in a terrifying sort of way, but he's very engaging as a speaker. And he is a very kind person. So everybody is paired with somebody who is considered their check partner at this point. This check partner is there to make sure you follow rules and to ensure that there's no sensuous thinking between people. They only matched people with someone who is their their personal opposite. So they know if it's somebody that you're not likely to get along with on a one-on-one, that's who they're going to make your check partner. Uh, have they because watched they, any like romantic I know, opposite the trap, baby. But they, but they like, didn't, they Darcy, didn't want that. Come on. But, you know, and it's funny because it's like the absolute opposite of like the Huggins sex aliens thing. Right. It's like, you know, whereas he was like, aliens are all about propagating their race into the, into the, you know, the human race. But this is 100% non-sex. It's they, the idea that the the next level is an androgynous level. I was going to say, don't they take it to that next level? They do. <laughs> there are Even when the men would have, they said, nocturnal emissions, they had special washcloths in the bathroom oh, no. that they had to use if they had nocturnal emissions. And they had to sign a sheet saying that they had checked them out and used them so that everybody else in the house could see that they had to use one of the washcloths. So it was like, it was a shaming oh, bless them. situation yeah. with that. Hope there's no teenagers in there. I know, right? But, you know, they got to where they started using, they were wearing unisex clothes. They were using basically uniforms, but they were never really 100% exactly the same, or rarely 100% exactly the same. They would all eat the same food. They would kind of take it in turns to play different roles in the community. They changed their names at this point. 
everybody like there was a guy who went by his name was Sawyer and he they changed his name to Soyote. Everybody had ODY at the end and that was supposed to be their family name. It was like the diminutive version of the kingdom of God's family name. So that if you were a child of the kingdom of heaven, ODY was the last three letters in your name. And if you graduated to an adult, then they would take the Y off. You know, Livodi, uh, Swayodi, Genodi, you know, that was everybody's name was so that. So what would my name be? Cortiodi? Cordodi, maybe? Cortodi. No, Cotodi. But you could choose, too. Cortodi. It didn't have to be your actual given name. Shorten. Like Petrodi. A... Petrodi. <laughs> Marlodi. Like... Oh, that sounds actually right. Marlodi does sound like one of their names. <laughs> Petrodi. And the huh? group at this point starts to call itself Heaven's Gate. Ah, and ah, um, I knew it, it. you know, with all of this detail <laughs> and Heaven's discipline, ev- it's it shrinks more. So by 1978, there's less than 100 people, I think, in it. And people who Still stuck with it. People. That's a I'm lot. I like, can't believe shit. they've been around this long. I know. And then I, I know what happens in the end. I was I know. a teenager. I was too. Everybody, yeah. People who stuck with it that found it fulfilling. That was the year we were born, Marlene. And, I know. And they've been going for a while. And they've been going for uh, five years already. But so they, people who stuck in it found it fulfilling. And this is by their own, you know, they reported this. They felt belonging and family and purpose in this group. And they were fulfilled by the work that they did and the sacrifice that they did towards moving to an overcoming of a human condition. Um, There was. um, Let's see. Like I said, you were always free to go there. You could go to Doe or T and say, I think I think I have to leave, you know, for whatever reason. There was one guy who said I I went to her if I said I needed to leave. He bought me a, a plane ticket and gave me six hundred dollars. They're Shit. not trying to keep you there. Right. Um, not that way. And so, you know, like I said, some had jobs. 1979 was when the Jamestown massacre happened mm. and media went crazy. So they they laid low for a long time in that period, too. But in 1985, Bonnie Nettles, who was T, dies of cancer. Herf has always said that Bonnie T is the elder of the two of them, that she's the leader and he's the speaker. When she dies, he doesn't really know what to do. And he lets all the members go home and they go home and almost and it's like for a certain set period of time and they go, they all go and they all see their family and they, you know, see their lives and, and you know, everything that they used to know. And almost every one of them comes back. Well, yeah, the they left the everybody for a decade. And everybody's like, mm-hmm. fuck, fuck you, you, go back. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, everybody, they, these, some Thanks, of these. Dad, you left me. I was five and now I'm 15. But some cold. of these, fam- a lot of these family members, too, were parents, too, on the other end who had been searching for their kids for mm. years mm. and desperate for them to come mm. back. And they just. I was thinking of it all as like older. like people. Some well, of it is. Older, there was. So like there's an HBO documentary kids. that came out either. Like I think it was Bonnie last year. Did. I think it's called The Cult of Cults, Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults. And I watched it all. Um, and some of this is from there. Some of it's from The New York Times and The Washington Post. But that you should watch that documentary if you're interested in them, because there are some really powerfully done interviews with both the people in the cult and the family members. But there is a woman who was 10 years old when both of her parents decided to join. And oh. she talks about pleading with her mother to stay 
at 10, at 10 years old and both of her parents leaving her. I left her. And, you know, and it's, you know, one of the things that gets me is that that's one of the, that was always one of my sticking points with biblical teaching is that if you read the Bible, Jesus flat out says, leave your brother and your father. Do not turn around to bury your dad. You are leaving your family right now and you are following me and you don't look back. And yeah, for his disciples. And we kind of read that and we gloss over it as like, that's not what he really means. But it, that's fucking what he says, you know? And I mean, that's one of the sticking points that I've always had with Christianity is if you want to follow this to the letter, like you've got to turn your back on your children. Mm. And mm. no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. It's just a choice that I, you know, it was like, well, sorry. Yeah. You know, this is one of those things. It's like, it's a really, it's not a fine line exactly, but it does make you think. It certainly makes you think. But anyway, so Bonnie has died. Almost all of these guys come back. And he had this. Meanwhile, Herf has been having to deal with this idea that he really did believe that they were bodily going into heaven. And and Doe has left him or T has left him. And um, they've been basically joined at the hip for however many years now, you know, 10, 10, 12 years. And he tells his followers when they come back that she transcended and that she her in her metamorphosis she burned up her human body and that was why her human body failed is because her metamorphosis destroyed her human body it doesn't mean she's not around anymore it means that you know that's just how it happened that's what the cancer did Mm -hmm. so he changes a lot at this point too though it's like he doesn't really know how to do all this by himself and he becomes a little bit more like me centric. He buys them all wedding rings because part of the deal is that they're supposed to show their devotion to the one, you know, person. And as he's now their elder, he basically does a ceremony that says you are all married to me now. And obviously it's not a sensual thing because they actually physically castrated like seven men in the group. Holy fuck. And it was all. I thought they all were castrated. They weren't. It was, oh it was, was all, it was all by choice. Yeah. God. He brought the idea up years before. And, you know, it never went through with it himself. Mm-hmm. And then it was actually the members who kind of started pushing the idea because we're like, we are being disturbed by sensual thoughts. We can't get past this. How about we do this castration thing? And he agreed to it. And it actually took a little bit. I, like, they were in charge of this part. And it was only people who wanted to do it. And only seven, five to seven of them wanted to do it. And the rest of them said no. Some people left over the fact that anyone was doing it at all. Mm-hmm. but certainly not everyone did it. It was a minority. Anyway, that's, that's how serious the central thinking thing was. I knew that that was part of this, though. 1991, you know, more people have left. There's been a lot of turmoil in, in media and all this, and so they start recruiting again, and they're one of the first cults in the U.S. to use the web as a recruiting tool because there were a lot of people who were talented <laughs> in this. They were like. They were extremely intelligent, talented, educated people who had joined this group. And so they knew how to do all this stuff. And so they created a website, which is still up. You can still go to the Heaven's Gate website and it's exactly the shape that it was before they died, which is a spoiler. They're going to die. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert if you don't if know If you now. don't know this story already. They took out ads in USA Today, I think it was. Um, they, they created a satellite TV show. 
to, you know, recruit more people. And they didn't get a ton. They got a few new recruits. But they were on the news and in the tabloids. They were everywhere. In the early 90s. Yeah, they like, came back out like with a vengeance. Happened, yeah. Like, I just remember now seeing like his face just plastered everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, because they, they really put themselves out there in the early 90s. They were like, we've got to get, we're, this is our last, they were like, mm-hmm. we feel like we're coming into the last lap. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, we need to get more people. Right. And then in 94, Doe starts having meetings with a group of, you know, people who've been with him since the beginning about the potential of having a mass suicide in the group and um, asking. And it was again, it was a kind way to do this. He was asking people, how do you feel about this? You know, what do you think? Do you have reservations about this possibility? Because they've always preached that your physical body is going to go with you to a place. And this is a deep departure from what they've always said. Mm -hmm. And he had kind of started thinking in these last few years, like, okay, am I supposed to kick this off? You know, is this obviously what I thought was going to happen? What I interpreted is wrong. And I lost my partner. And now we're here. And I'm trying to figure out how it's still, how is this still true? You know, am I supposed to make it happen? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where he came to. And he started talking to people about it. And they were all like, well, you know, some people did leave. Not be- yeah, some people left, but not because of the suicide. There was a guy who was interviewed in the um, in the documentary who said he'd left at that time because he still just never felt like he was worthy. And he and the, multiple people who left the group still believed 100 percent everything that the group taught. Wow. More people left at that point, but several, like I said, still believed in November 1996. People started talking about the Hale-Bopp comet. Coast to Coast FM was one of the big pushers. Oh, yeah. Art Bell of the um, the government conspiracy theory that there was a UFO that was hidden trailing the, the hale comet. Yeah. comet. Yes, mm-hmm. it was hidden in the tail and it might be four times the size of Earth. And they grabbed the onto this. Or the UFO? The UFO. Oh, shit. And Doe, her started saying, this is Bonnie. This is T coming back to get us. That's what this is. And so he was like, the Hale-Bopp is closest to Earth around the time of Easter. And that is a sign that this is it. This is the thing. This is when we're going to do it. And they have been preparing for suicide for two years. So they, in March 1997, everybody who is in the group, there's 39 people, record goodbye videos and exit videos telling former members, you know, this is what you can do to continue to get our message out telling family members, like, don't be sad. We've done this all, you know, and they all are calm and happy and, you know. Brainwashed. (laughs) That's what that's what many people say. (laughs) And then in May 1997, they all sit in their place that right now they're living in a house in um, Rancho in California. It was California. I was thinking it was Florida for some Mm, reason. No, it was California. I thought it was in the desert. Uh, they they have created a little a little cocktail of vodka and barbiturates and applesauce or mm, pudding. And I mean, they have go. they have written instructions, one, two, three, four, five, exactly how you're gonna do this. They're all dressed exactly the same. They're wearing the same Nikes, they're wearing the same pants. And by this time, you know, years before they'd all gotten to where they all wore pixie haircuts, short haircuts. So they're very androgynous. No one is attractive in this There's group at this lot point. There's a lot of you know, uh, bunk beds. Lots of bunk beds. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember bunk beds because and are, pictures. Because there are 40 people, mm-hmm. basically 40 people living in the house. And they did it in three shifts. It was Rancho Santa Fe. Rancho Santa Fe. And 
the first shift would have a group to come in and make sure that everything went well to look after them to you know tidy up everything and then put a shroud over the faces of the dead then the second shift and then the last two were the two that didn't have shrouds so they knew that those were the last two to die because they had taken care of everyone else and set them up the people who were medical examiners went into the house and said everything looked very peaceful nobody had nobody seemed to have suffered nobody seemed to have fought they went to sleep right the families found out that people who they hadn't seen some of them for 20 years were dead The reason why I told this story, and this is the weird thing, this is the here's the thing that I thought it was so weird to me, is because in my head, I thought it would be Southern. Because I had heard the 25th anniversary of this was uh, last year. Uh, yeah, that was the year I graduated. And I think cool. that's the reason why <laughs> HBO released the thing, which I didn't watch at the time. Yeah. I only watched right. now. 97 was. And I had heard at the 25th anniversary, I guess, on AL.com, a couple different places about the connection between Marshall Applewhite and In the Alabama. University of Alabama. And I was like, oh, he's a Presbyterian preacher's son. He's Alabama. Is this a Southern? I'll save this and put it in the files and do it for a Southern story. Mm-hmm. And then I, I read all this and I'm like, this is as far from Southern as it gets. And I started to think, OK, for one thing, why did I think that it would be just because of that one little connection? And I, it's just because of the way that the news was put up. But um, of the 39 people that died, only one was Southern. He was raised in Miami. He was born in New York. The rest of them were Midwest, Northwest, That's Northeast. Not Southern either. Miami is not. not I, no, Miami is its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was thinking, well, there's and I think it's partly because I was like, there's so much fanatical devotion to different things across the South. Like football, Republican part, Trumpism is right. a fucking cult, actually. You know, right. Southern Baptist, evangelicism, like all of these things are so fanatic. There's so many people who are just fanatically devoted to so many things. And so I was just thinking, well, of course, we'd be vulnerable to cults then. I mean, you talked about Gwen Shamblin. And, right. But she, you know, she hit some of those same buttons that mm-hmm. the church has already owned for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking after doing this, like, maybe it's the opposite mm-hmm. of what I thought. Because maybe there are already too many cults vying for attention in the U.S. South to allow for these scary new ones. I mean, everybody has, it seems like, some sort of a very somebody's passionate in a cult. Somebody's already got you. You know, right. somebody's already got their hooks Baptist in Baptist Church already got you. You know, I think that's part of it. And I also mm-hmm. did, I did a little research on, like, studies about who joins cults. Mm-hmm. 80 to 85% of people... Um, come from nominally religious or non-religious backgrounds that knocks us out of the running mm-hmm. in most, you know, and unless mm-hmm. you're talking about a Christian cult, like when Shamblin's mm-hmm. converts to new religious movements like this, like the one, uh, the heaven's gate tend to be highly educated, which is the case with these people who went to this UFO cult oddly. Which and to have a we, lot of money. We know in the South, we are at the bottom of every exactly. highly educated They're, they're right. they have they're likely to have college degrees. They're highly educated. They have a lot of money and they nope. have a lot of free time. And or I was like, uneducated. That's exactly the opposite right. of the average mm-hmm. in the U.S. South. And so I was like, well, that's really interesting because again, I was thinking of this in terms of like Christian new religious movements. We just lead them. It, well, it's for real. I was like, <laughs> and you know, it it's funny. We though. are the cult leaders. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing that I the thing that I ended up stuck on is. Well, is that like, have you ever met, have you ever met a new Christian? Have you ever met a new Christian who's not grandfathered in by their actual grandfather? Like somebody who has never been a Christian before, 
but converted at a at a a rally or a, a tent revival. Have you never met one of those? No. Well, no, because they were already they had they were they were lost sheep had strayed from the flock. Mm-hmm. Anybody I could say that's like new to it, like they right. were already their parents and grandparents went and then became teenagers and got on drugs or mm-hmm. yeah. sex or, or gambling or whatever right. and came back. And they got older and they're like, you know, uh, okay. facing yeah. death or illness or something. And, and they mm-hmm. came back. It's they always back coming back. It. It's I always don't coming know back. anybody new. See, some, some I know new Christians. Oh, really? And, don't. and those, don't. because they, there's a term, it's on fire for God. That's like one of the things that they say about like new Christians, these people who come in and they're just on fire for God. Yeah, I've heard of on fire for God, but it, also they're, reco- like they're, they're recovering back. from something yeah. that they used to be uh-huh. there. But the people who who are brand new mm-hmm. and have never heard it before and they're hit for the first time and they have a big conversion experience, mm-hmm. they quickly become insufferable to church members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know why? Because what they heard and what they believe has damn near nothing to do with what they see <laughs> they in the U.S. The church? South Church. They, yeah. mm-hmm. Because the cult's message is the message. Christ was a fucking cult leader. <laughs> He was. Everything he said is that stuff that we all say is red flags. Leave your family, sell everything you have. And if you say to a Baptist church, sell everything you have, you get the I mean, you get the boot like real fast. Yeah. Because you don't sell shit like money is one thing that the church has its claws in. Follow me. So, you know, it's one of those things that really got to me. I was like, well, that's really interesting. So I think like I think there's just there's just too much other shit in the South for these cults to really get. To take root, you can't take root. You can't oh, get the a church handle on that. Get rid of those people. They say, "Oh, you want to get rid of everything? Go ahead and give it here." Yeah, <laughs> <That's all right>. <laughs> <laughs> when Shamblin is like, the right. perfect example of that. The best Absolutely. way for you to follow Christ is to give the church. Is to give the church you <laughs> everything you have. Everything you got. So anyway, that was <laughs> that was just that was my interesting uh, thought pattern on. So wow. I started that whole thing, and I was like, "Well, this isn't southern," which is why it was so hard for me to do the whole thing. I was well, like, don't "This is the least southern story." And then I was like, "Wait a minute, it taught me something." Yeah, he was a southern cult leader and for some reason or another i thought that they all ended up dying in florida i don't know where i got i that thought from. they were in the desert i remember it being the desert mm. and i don't know where what is i think california Rancho. the part of california they were in was like a lot of Rancho. very big well, mansions Santa Fe may be why i thought of that yeah no yeah that was very interesting so the there San you go Diego. now we know about heaven's gate cult, which has nothing to do with the south except for a little a little inkling about university of leader. alabama yeah I mean, and and just the whole psychology of his dad being like a preacher. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a huge influence on somebody's life. Yeah. Well done. Enjoyed there we go. that. Thank you so much. Thank Love you. It. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate Thank you, you guys. so much. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Can't quit you. I haven't seen that movie in forever. Mm. Man, I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. Uh, I think I wrote something down. I, I was like, I, I could I talk about was... how Christian I used to be, but yeah, we it were... gets boring to other people real fast, I think. We were all on that cult thing, cult southern thing. Southerners are the leaders of the cults. I'm sorry about and the Californians are the followers. Man. <laughs> yeah, but no. uh, Courtney, while you're in the bathroom, I was telling Patrice one of the articles I found was an LA Times article saying, why did we get all the cults? Like, why do we get them all the time? 
I suppose that's where all the money is. You got well, money, that, you got time and to look like for the shit. people who are searching. That's what I was... Well, but right. it requires money to search for things most well, of the yeah, time. Yeah, because you have to have time. Like, most of us are, like, trying to hustle just to play, play, or to pay bills. Mm-hmm. Um, we ain't got time to worry about, like, shit about, like, what our true purpose is other than paying bills. I know. Well, it's the hierarchy <laughs> of needs, right? right? It's like, you know, you, you can't think about how you're supposed to transcend some earthly existence when you can't put food on the table. It's mm-hmm. just not possible. Like... Right. And we're kind of like in the South, on average, everybody's kind of stuck on one of the lower rungs because right. you know, we can't make any money. Right. Right. And and it's also um, it's something I never thought about before because we were t- um, I was reading something about homeless people and like the homeless crisis uh, that seems to be mainly in like the big cities. And they were talking about how it's its relationship to the cost of living and uh, housing prices is like the correlation there. And I told him I never put the, it together. Like, you know, the reasons I'm in, like, San Francisco and, and San Diego has such a huge uh, homeless problem is because nobody can fucking afford just decent housing mm. or low-end housing. And so if you can't afford that, you can't afford to move and you're fucking homeless. And then you have fucking all these people on, you know, the reason the South doesn't have as big a homeless problem is because we're all fucking poor down here. Yeah. And so... We have, you know, low cost of living. So even, you know, we can have trailers and we can have places um, mm-hmm. in the government housing that's affordable to live in down here. Um, <laughs> go, down, go down South Alabama and your trailers probably have sewage rolling like right. through the front yard. But at least you can live there, I guess. Right. It's a place. Yeah, it's a place to live Um, where like in San Francisco and everything. I mean, the housing prices are just even I remember visiting some friends in San Francisco back in the um mid 90s and to me who was paying like maybe $300 in rent at the time in Mississippi mm-hmm. and then to go like they moved from that kind of cost of living to San Francisco where it was like $1200 mm-hmm. a month for rent blew my fucking mind yeah i was like how can y'all fucking afford this and oh, then yeah. And then we're, you know, we're literally stepping over human shit that homeless people left on, you know, yeah. the sidewalk and not, you know, it's taken me till just now to realize, oh, well, that's the reason people can't fucking like if you are out of a job and have no money. First of all, you can't go anywhere because it takes money to go anywhere. It takes money to move. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's nowhere to go. I mean, there's no there's. I just, bah. There's nothing affordable at There's all. nothing affordable. Yeah. There's no lower end jobs. Um, Like, we have plenty of those around here in the South. So, I mean, they can't come down here to work because when you're poor, you can't move. I mean, even when, oh, if God, you're not that's poor, the one thing, yeah. moving costs are, like, astronomical. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I never, like, really as a young person took into account, it's like, okay, if I want to go live somewhere else, I got to pay to like move all this shit. Mm-hmm. And then you have to pay for all the hookups. And then you got to pay the deposit and on the, the place first and last like, month. First and last month. And it's just fucking expensive. Yeah, that upfront cost can really bite it's you. Really bad. It, yeah. Anybody. I don't know how I did it. Yeah, we moved I don't like either. seven times in six years. Yeah, we moved a lot too. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's nuts. It gets real expensive real fast. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have a car, a lot of people do not have a car. And a lot of people in the South do not have a car still. 
Is there a city in the U.S. South that has good public transportation? Atlanta? I don't know. The MARTA. The bus system's not bad. The MARTA system doesn't go very far. Okay, but I'm thinking any transportation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that they are probably the the pinnacle. I could be wrong. Man, that's sad if that's true. Yeah. Because, I mean, who else? Mm -hmm. Who else? I don't know of any big city that has, like, New Orleans. I don't know. I don't know. They don't have a subway system, though, do they? No, they don't. And that's one of the weird things is like, I was, because I'm looking at going to DC and I'm remembering how great the metro is because the metro goes far out. Well, that's it. Atlanta is like the only place that has that has a subway system or or a train system like that. And there's, I mean, I remember when I lived there that everybody even talked about this way back then is that. Atlanta's subway system is built so that it only goes so far out because they don't want the poor people coming in, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, fuck, it's a little bit backwards sometimes. But like, um, yeah, the, there was a, a list released and I noticed this in the news this morning, the top 10 best cities to buy a home in 2023. Ah. And all of them are southern cities. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Every single one. And it's because of the low cost of living. Mm hmm. And Atlanta Sandy Springs is number one, like Marietta Sandy Springs, Raleigh, North Carolina, Dallas, Fort Worth. That's that's, you know. But the problem with that is that coming in from other cities where the cost of living is higher. Mm -hmm. But if you move down here and get a job, your job is going to pay a lot less. Yeah. The cost of living that is here. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's a uh, double edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I never like put those two things like the homeless population of, of why it's so bad, you know, up in California. And now I know. Now it, exactly. makes, it makes total sense. We also, it's like we, we also have fewer like congregating places like cities for for people to be visibly homeless in, I think. Like yeah. there's so much more rural area. Yeah. A lot of people live in, in the woods. Yeah. And we just don't know about it. Yeah. Or we do know about some. We had that murder up on um, uh, Chiha. Oh, yes, oh, yeah. because there was an Last entire year. community of people who was living up on mm-hmm. in Chiha right. Park. Yeah, um, that kind of terrifies me, like when we're on the trail, like, mm-hmm. you know, people who are living um, off the grid and off the trail, because we do it. We have a trail that like connects Jacksonville from Atlanta. It's like a 90-mile trail. Mm-hmm. So it's very... Very much easy to use to transport stuff, which is great. But, um, yeah, if you are, you know, doing bad things, mm-hmm. it's dangerous. Yeah, the for sad part else. is the bad things part of that. Because yeah. I know, like, it, you know, it, in a way, I'm like thinking, well, it kind of makes sense for people to, you know, pitch communal tents in a, in a wilderness area if you right. can't get along but then they, you know they shot folks and that's the shitty part of it right exactly i remember one all morning walking, all involved i know yeah i remember one morning walking on that trail and having a guy with a crossbow just like oh, kind of yeah. walk out of the God, woods toward I me know you i texted me both of you yes. i texted both of you while i was walking away so some dude with a crossbow just walked toward me and i was like hey just like because it's one of those i was like i'm obviously not the person who's made for the apocalypse like i'm not the situationally aware like you know i would suck in the military i would die immediately i'm just sitting here thinking like i would just like hey how you doing like he's carrying a guitar put your eyesight on top of that and then you really are Uh, yeah put my eyesight on that i'm just fucked in a billion ways is that a guitar you're carrying oh jeez but when she said that, 
I was not, I mean, yes, it would be very much, but to me, that's just dumbassery, like some jackass that doesn't know that he's not supposed to be on the trail hunting. Mm -hmm. And I immediately went to like the hunting mentality. It's like, oh yeah, they're close to the road, which they're not supposed to be. No. In the South, you do, people do what the fuck they want to do. And so, or either nobody's ever told them not to hunt close to like populated areas for obvious fucking reasons. (laughs) Well, I told you about that time, you know, when I lived in Meridian, I used to drive, um, from Meridian to Columbus, Mississippi a lot. And that is a desolate road. <laughs> it is it is so, like, barely any cars and just out in the boonies. And I would take my dog with me because I would travel a lot alone while Chad was up in Starkville in grad school. And I've had my tires shut out before. Oh, shit! <laughs> and I remember hearing it. What? And I don't know if it was like intentional or if they were just like shooting too close to the road, mm. which I kind of want to think it was too close to the road. And I'm hoping, thank God, nothing ever happened. But yeah, I, I blew a tire. I heard it. Um, mm. The gunshot. I heard the tire blow. And there was thankfully a guy in an 18 wheeler. Again, I got my dog with me and I like, you know, took my dog out of the car and I looked at it and I was like, okay, I got to change this tire, which I know how to change a t- tire. It's no big deal. Um, but I was sitting there staring because again, I was just like, okay, I know what I heard and I'm a little freaked out and there's nobody on the road. Mm. And this 18 wheeler comes and this guy like pulls over. I was like, oh my God, I am fisting to die. <laughs> like, this is like, the, this is a movie setup right here. It's like somebody blows my tire out, an 18 wheeler, you know, because I'm thinking, Y'all, Stephen King, back in the day, <laughs> oh, what is it, Maximum Overdrive? I forget the name of the movie where, like, you know, the 18-wheelers come to life and they run over all the people. That's a thing? Yeah, what is that one? It was Maximum Overdrive, oh, it wasn't is it? Maximum, I it's don't know. like the Cars horror movie. It is. It's like Christine, right? I really need to see Maximum Overdrive. You do. You do. It's got some good music. I think it was ACDC. Anyway. Anyway. Um. So this guy... And he knew I was nervous about him because I had my dog. And I was like, when he would talk to me, I would go to the other side of the car and <laughs> talk to him over the car. Ah. Um, but he was so kind and he changed my tire for me. And that was like, that, that was like one of those things in the South mm-hmm. that happens a lot. It's like yeah. people will do stuff for you. But being like, I was in my 20s, I was young. Um, and I was still, you know, very much aware that I was not in a good location. And I was, like, very susceptible to bad things happening if they decided to, like, not be nice. Mm-hmm. And I think he recognized that. And he was very, like, I'm just going to do this. And he was, like, talking to me very kindly. And, you know, bless him. He changed my tire on my Jeep. And then we got out of there. Um, But that is not, like, that little stretch of road is, like, I had two blowouts in that stretch of road. That Damn. was not the only stretch of road. And the first one was definitely shot out. Mm. Oh, so I don't know what I was saying about that other than... Um, what was How going? did we start How that? How did we start that? It, we were talking about the guy with the crossbow and people oh, yeah. shooting in random because, places. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, maybe they didn't know that they're not supposed to go hunting on the side. And I was like in the middle of dense forest. And mm-hmm. I know, like, you know, when you drive down those, maybe you don't know if you're not from the south, but... Like during hunting season, 
you like you're on the highway, you're driving down and you see pickup trucks just kind of like off to the side of the road, off a dirt road here and there. Mm-hmm. Like when you're driving, it's hunting season because that's, you know, where they left their cars mm-hmm. and either, you know, backed up their um, four wheelers or went on foot, go set up in a deer stand. I happens. see that all the time on the bridge. It's oh, like yeah. on the bridge is the fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hopped out with my oh, fish. And I need to find somebody that's been hunting because I miss some deer meat. I yeah. love deer meat. Oh, my grandma used to send us deer. My cousin Crystal just shot one. Ooh. Oh, I saw the picture. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Let us know get the deer meat hookup. <laughs> I bet you somebody will get you something. Somebody. Somebody can get you That'll something. That'll be awesome. That's oh. weird. It seems like we shouldn't have to look that hard. It seems like everybody's oh, okay. around here got some. I thought that I saw a deer on my way over here. I was on Carpenter's Lane and there was a an animal standing on the side of the road and I saw something moving. I was like, <laughs> that is a damn big dog. Chupacabra? And I got a little closer and I looked and right. I was like, that is too dark mm-hmm. to be a deer and it's standing very still. Because I had to slow down because I thought that it was going to be like running the across the road. No, I've seen a coyote lately though. She's pretty. Mm-hmm. But like I got real up close and I looked and there's this baby cow had gotten out of its pen and was standing on the side of the road chewing on a Coke box oh. and just like staring at me while I drove by. She's like, <laughs> just looking at you. Oh, oh my goodness. Anyway. Yeah, deer meat seems to like stay in the family because yeah, know, I guess that's true. Like cousins, I remember like we'd have cousins, or my granddad would have cousins that would bring him deer meat. Yeah, um, and then we would all share it. And my mm-hmm. grandmama, oh, she'd cook up some deer meat medallions, and they'd be like, "Slap your mama good, oh. so good." Do you like deer meat? I I've eaten it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a no. <laughs> well, I didn't have it a lot. Okay, we had like venison like cube steak more than mm. anything else like i don't think we ever got the good good oh yeah <laughs> like yeah, if you would have had my grandmother's like deer meat medallions like very tender very small oh yeah that's what i mean like the very good like mm. hip like beef yeah. hip size. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I miss my grandmother. laughs> all right y'all thank you so much for listening we appreciate y'all the most and thank You're you the best. for continuing to support us in our endeavors yes thank you all the things We'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Fire shot out. I've never heard that. Me neither.